Sometimes we have a narrow definition of how we expect God to work in our lives. We think that He's only going to speak to us in one way or do it, do things in one way with certain people. But I find that God uses anything and everything to bring us back to Him. That's today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for listening to our Tower Hill podcast. You know, summer is the perfect time to serve in your community. And here in Red Bank, we are not letting the summer close out without a really cool outreach event. In fact, if you're in the Monmouth County area this month, we still have a few spots left in our August outreach event. It's the Fireman's Fair in Fairhaven, New Jersey. At Tower Hill, we are thrilled to serve our community again this year at this event. We're going to work the carnival games for a night to give the firefighters a night off from actually working the event so that they can join, enjoy it with their families. And it's such a great way to see everyone out having fun, um, always great weather, and it's a good way to give back to the firemen who do so much for us. So if you're in the area, you can sign up on our website at towerhillchurch.org events. There's a couple of shifts you can choose from. It's August 31st, so we hope to see you there. This week, Pastor Jason is back. He's continuing our 12 Stones sermon series, looking at how the stories in the Bible shape our own stories today. So let's check it out right now. 12 Stones, Stories That Shape Our Faith. We've been looking all summer at stories in Scripture that help to shape our story as we understand what it means to follow in the way of Jesus Christ. As many of you know, I am back from vacation, and it was epic. We were in L.A., we were in Vermont. We did a whole bunch of stuff. And so, unfortunately, the result is you're going to be peppered with vacation stories probably for the next couple of weeks. Because that's how I write my sermons. I, I listen to God and what's going on in my life, and I just relay that information to you. And uh, we went out, one of the reasons why we went out to California was back this last March, um, my birth father passed away, who I had a very complicated relationship with. Uh, he actually came to church uh, once to, um, to visit. He lived in nearby Eatontown. He was not the father who raised me, uh, so it was an odd kind of relationship. It was, let's say, strained. He passed away under uh, kind of mysterious circumstances. We're pretty sure that drugs were involved. So Um, it was a very sad story, his life. But what he, he grew up in California, or he had a lot of his younger years in California, and he loved to surf. So we had planned to go out to the LA area to go out to sea and to uh, let go of his ashes there. And uh, my father-in-law, Chuck, who is with us today, he captained the boat that brought us out there. And that was, that was awesome to be able to do that with him. And it was a, a good time of closure uh, for the kids. The kids knew him. He came to visit every once in a while. So it was their first time really dealing with that, you know, first one who died uh, in the family. But when we were out there and we sprinkled the ashes and we put the flowers out, I had this, I was thinking about fathers and thinking about fatherhood and reflecting on the fact that in my growing up, I didn't really have, even though I had two fathers, I didn't have a father who really showed me the way spiritually and was reflecting on how badly 
I needed that. I needed a father to mentor me, to show me how to live this life of faith, to see me through all the ups and downs. And, uh, and I know some of you, you had that experience, or you had a good relationship with your father, with your parents. It's not limited to just fathers, but with your parents. You had that good relationship. But I feel like there was always something inside me that craved and still craves to be mentored, to learn about, and especially about spiritual things. Because I think that's the thing that um, a lot of fathers don't talk about or don't talk about very often. And I, I think there's something inside of us that we all crave that mentoring relationship. I think there's something spiritual going on there. I think we're meant to learn from those who have walked this road of faith before us. When I was about 10 years old, I remember going camping with my great-grandfather, and uh, he was, he spent the week whittling wood. And I, of course, thought this was the coolest thing ever. Oh, he's whittling wood. And I used to sit down and just like watch him do it. And he would explain to me how to do it. And then finally, at one point, he gave me this kind of crusty old knife. And he's like, now you do it. You do it with me. And all week, I was whittling that wood. I thought this was the coolest thing. And at the end of the week, I go to give the knife back to him. And he said, no, 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 no. That's your knife now. So that you could keep whittling wood long after you leave me. I was reflecting on that. I was such a kid who was so craving that mentoring. And I just soaked it in. Like uh, my youngest, when we were on vacation this week, we were at this museum, and he was watching this older gentleman who was volunteering at the museum. I imagine he was a volunteer. And he was explaining kind of all the different animals. And, uh, and he had like model skulls. And he was saying, you can learn so much about the animals from, from the skulls and from the teeth and everything. And Jacob was just like, he was so into it. He was just absorbing every morsel of what this guy said. He could have said anything, I think. I think he was more interested in the guy that was <laughs> telling the stories than the, uh, than the actual skulls. But he was so into it. And that just reminded me that we all need a spiritual father. We all need somebody who's going to speak into our lives and to show us what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, I think for a lot of us Christians, we don't have that. Or maybe we had it years ago but we haven't had it in a long time. And what happens is our faith will tend to stagnate because we've so distilled the Christian experience into one hour a week on Sunday. And we come and we listen and we receive and we praise and we pray and then we go home. And that's not bad. Obviously, I like that we worship together. It's nice to have people in the room to deliver the sermon. Like These are all good things. But it's only part of it. Your, your, ceiling, your um, faith is going to have a lid because you're not kind of intentionally learning from people who've walked this road before you, nor are you taking time to reach out to those people who are on the road behind you. Mentoring is a critical part of the Christian faith, and I think it's a part that we all struggle to do because none of us have any time. And it doesn't matter if you're working full time. How many times have I heard people say, when I retire, and then what happens? Anyone retired out there? How many of you are busier than you, when, when you worked? Yeah. You fill the time. We're always filling the time. But mentoring and being mentored is such a critical part of the Christian faith, and it's a part that we often neglect, and that's 
what we're going to be getting into and talking about in our faith story today. I remember when I was, I think we're all scared to mentor somebody else because we never know, we never think we know enough. But I remember uh, when I was tutoring in seminary, I was tutoring uh, the Greek, the introduction to biblical Greek class. And I went to my professor the first week and I'm just like, hey, look, I just had this class last year. I don't know if I'm really qualified to be a tutor. I'm a little nervous about that. He's like, Jason, no problem. You just have to be one chapter ahead. And and that's true with mentoring somebody else. You just have to be one chapter ahead. You don't have to have all the answers to life all figured out. You just have to be one chapter ahead. And we have to get in the practice of reaching out to people who are one chapter behind. And reaching up to someone who we think is one chapter ahead of us. This is the mentoring relationship. About mentoring relationships... We have in our story today, Paul and Timothy. This is the biblical example of what this mentoring relationship is like. So you have Paul, who is the mentor, and Timothy, who is the apprentice or the disciple. And we see in their relationship what it looks like in real time to mentor and be mentored in the Christian faith. Now what we know about Timothy is that sometime before Paul's second missionary journey, he Uh, Timothy joins him, and he becomes an apprentice to Paul and travels around with him and works with him for many years. Rick Warren talks about Paul and Timothy and, and talks about three phases of mentoring, which I think are really helpful because I don't know how he does it, but Rick Warren, if you ever listen to his sermons, all his sermon points start with the same letter. I don't know, does he have like a letter team that just makes sure all of his points... Like, I don't know how he does it. He's a, he's a gifted guy, obviously. But I think it helps to remember these three different phases because they're important when it comes to mentoring relationships. So let's look at each one. The first one is parenthood. Phase one is parenthood. And, uh, you know, so in the beginning, as, as Paul refers to Timothy or talks to Timothy, he says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. It's definitely more like a parent and a child. In other words, I have something to give to you. I am the master or or I have the information and I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'm going to kind of bring you in as a parent would a child. And that's how that mentoring relationship begins with which requires humility if you're the one being mentored. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn from you and I'm just going to release whatever pride I have And be willing to learn from you. And that's another reason why we get hung up is because we never want to do that. We get weird about that. Because of pride. I had a, uh, I did end up having a spiritual parent when I came to faith. Uh, The director of the camp, his name was John. And he really became, in a lot of ways, my spiritual parent, my spiritual father. And he's the one that showed me what it looks like to live a life of faith. He's, he went everything from, all right, this is how you pray. <laughs> this is how you read the Bible. This is how you share the Bible with little kids. Like, this is how you do it. Just watch me do it. Do what I do. And then eventually we'll be able to do it together. And so I did. And that's how I learned. And that's how I grew in my faith. The second is pace setting. So at some point, you move from parenthood to pace setting. And that's what John did for me. It's, 
Okay, now, now that you're willing to be all in on this, I want you to follow me around. Watch how I live my Christian life. And allow that to set the pace for how you live yours. How do I pray? How do I live? How do I treat people? Second phase is pace setting. And so if you're looking for a mentor, you got to make sure you find somebody who you think it's a pace worth following. The way that I always say if I want to choose a mentor, who would I be willing to trade places with? (laughs) I'm going to go to that person. Who do I respect so much that I would exchange places in life? I'm going to ask them if they'd be willing to mentor me. Pace setting. It's what Paul said to Timothy. You, you, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. How does he know it? By watching him do it. And then the third is partnering. You know, at some point in Romans 16.21, Paul actually addresses Timothy as a co-worker. This is really a spiritual version of the classic mentoring pattern, which is, I do, you watch, you do, I watch, and then we do together. This is what mentoring looks like. We need to find people in our lives that we can do this with. This will remove the lid of your faith because you never grow like when you are being mentored or when you're mentoring somebody else. And this is the piece so easily lost in our day. I mean, just look at how, I mean, seriously, not just busyness, but our lives are so crammed full of stuff to think about. (laughs) And we got friends that we only see on Facebook that we wish we saw and actually communicated with. So to, to invite another relationship in is a big ask. But I think it's everything in growing in our faith. All right, let's get to uh, Paul and Timothy. This is Paul kind of talking and, and giving wisdom to Timothy as he's going about his ministry where he is. So here's Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscious, consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. What's he talking about? Well, Paul, he talks about this a lot in his letters. There were people who were teaching things about Christianity that Paul felt were really wrong. What do I mean? Well, in the early days, you got to think about it this way. You had Pharisees converting to Christianity, like following Jesus. You had people who were steeped in the old covenant, the way, you know, your dietary laws, your ritual sacrifice laws, all the ways that you used to live as an Israelite, as a Hebrew. Now, what a lot of them were doing were saying, okay, uh, we already have a religion, so we're just going to add Jesus to it. And Paul said, no. That's not how this works. That was the old covenant. You are not bound by the dietary laws. You are not bound by the ritual purity laws and all that anymore. That has been finished on the cross. We have a different kind of relationship with Jesus now. That way was a way to teach us 
about what it means about what Jesus did. And so you had people who were sort of like, we're, we're Jewish, and then we're just adding Jesus, adding a little Jesus. Paul's like, no. So he was encouraging Timothy, don't get derailed by these people who are teaching these things. Like, for example, quite famously, Paul, Paul had to deal with teachers who were like, well, you had to be Jewish before you became Christian. So you, you know, all the men had to be circumcised and then become Christian. Like, I don't know, that's a heck of a new members class. I don't want to be a part of that. But like, but he's saying, no, it's not like that. It's, it's different now. It's different now that we are following Jesus. All right, let's continue. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Right? So he's the mentor. Where, where do you get the teaching they followed? From Paul. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. This is, this is so important. Don't follow the old myths and wives' tales. There are lots of myths and wives' tales in our Christian faith currently. It's sort of like uh, Christians have their own language, like Christianese, and they say different phrases, and some of them just aren't true, but they keep getting recycled. Like my favorite one, or I should say my least favorite one, is God won't give you more than you can handle. You've received that one, right? You're like, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't think I'm handling this all too well. That comes from nowhere in Scripture. That is made up. That's actually a part of another verse that talks about temptation. It said, whenever you're being tempted, God will provide a way out. But it's kind of got changed around to, God won't give you more than you can handle. You want to bet? God gives us more than we can handle on a regular basis so that we learn to trust in him and not in our own power. That he is in control and not us. Yes, God gives us more than we can handle. Or, you know, on the occasion of death, I mean, you know, after my birth father, that's the third parent I've, I've had to bury. And um, I, a lot of people say lots of nice things, but kind of like Christianese. Um, like a Christian Instagram post or something that said, like people would say to me, well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. I'm like, where? <laughs> I don't remember people being chosen to be angels. Like, I've seen lots of movies. I know Clarence get his wings. Um, yeah, that's, that's nowhere. Um, and then, and like, what kind of God is that? God's really needy. I need another angel. Sorry, kid. We were one short. I know people mean well. I'm so, I don't mean to offend you if you've said that to somebody, but we're not going to. I'm just saying, it's, it's not from the Bible. But it gets perpetuated in Christianity, these old wives' tales and things that we think are true. And Paul's saying, don't, don't believe in that. And how do you not believe in that? You train yourself to be godly. It takes intentionality. You have to actually crack open the scriptures and learn. You have to be willing to be mentored by somebody else and to mentor someone. You have to continually be growing. 
That's how you train yourself to be godly. And then he takes this uh, to another level. Train yourself. And he says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is so important. Now, I don't know if uh, Timothy was a gym rat, if he was doing CrossFit, if if he was paleo. I don't know what he was doing. But apparently he appreciated physical training. And Paul used that to make this very important point. That's good. But if, if you're going to invest in training, make sure you're investing in your training and godliness, your spiritual training. That has value when this body is long gone. And I think this really suits our community, right? Because it's all about like health and fitness, and these things are good. But people will spend a lot of cash and a lot of time. People who have no time will spend a lot of cash and a lot of time on fitness, the special diets, making sure that they go out of their way to get the certain kind of food item from the store that's 12 miles away. And the important thing is, is that we have to train. We have to train. Physical training is of some value. But we have to be training in godliness. And I like it, uh, tr- this idea of training in godliness and mentoring I want to bring those ideas together by looking at it kind of like a relay race. Discipleship and mentoring is like a relay race. It takes training, and it takes two people, and there's a handoff, right? There's a handoff of wisdom, of knowledge, of how to live your life of faith. And it requires both of you partnering together. But it requires training. You don't just say, wake up one day and be like, you know, I'm going to run a relay race. Like, I'm pretty fast. Can I join the three of you on the team? No, I mean, these guys, these people train for years to make sure that everything is exactly right when they make the handoff. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Which I love it. So he's encouraging him, right? And maybe Timothy was feeling like, I am young and the older people aren't going to listen to me. Because they're going to be like, what do you know, kid? You haven't lived life. You haven't been through life enough yet to speak to me about wisdom. But here's Paul encouraging him. He's like, no. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech. In conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, now here's his to-do list. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I, I think that's huge. I want to go back to that one. Do not neglect your gift. I feel like what Paul's doing there is he's saying, look, Timothy... There are times when you're going to be really discouraged. Like you don't have what it takes to do everything that I'm saying. But remember this, you you already have what it takes because God gave it to you. Remember that time when the elders laid hands on you and you received that gift to do exactly this? Remember that. Tap into that so that you can keep moving forward. And I think for a lot of us, it's about going back to that moment. 
When we remember God's call upon our lives in one way or another, it's like God put his hands right on our heart and broke the chains that were holding it. We need to go back to that place and remember we have everything that we need. We have exactly what it takes to do this because God is the one who gifted us. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And there's also something about seeing your progress as you are being mentored and you're growing in your faith. People are watching your life and seeing your progress. And that has spiritual value. This is how a church is supposed to work. Is that we're all working together in this. We're all helping each other grow and people are seeing each other's progress and getting excited and wanting to be part of that mentoring relationship. Watch your life and doctrine closely. What does that mean? Make sure your actions match up with what you say you believe. You need both. And doctrine's a, a theological word that super has a lot of baggage, right? What do we mean by doctrine? It's just being like, well, what do you say you believe about Jesus? If you have no idea, then in your bulletin today from the traditional service is the Apostles' Creed. That is our doctrine. What does it mean? We believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus died for our sins, uh, that he paid for the sins, that he rose again from the dead, that we have freedom through faith in him. We believe in a bodily resurrection. We believe, right? So this is all the we believes. So make sure your life and what you say you believe match up. And that takes training. That takes training. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here's the thing. We all need spiritual mentors. And we all need to mentor others. Sometimes we're a Paul in somebody's life, and sometimes we're a Timothy. It depends on where you are and what season of life that you are in. But I want to encourage you and challenge you at the same time. Maybe a way to start is to say, you know what, there's somebody in my life who who is either a Paul or Timothy to me. So there's somebody who I see and I'm like, I, I want what they have. They seem to have so much peace. They seem to understand Jesus a bit more than I do. I want to meet him for coffee and just have a conversation. And, and if you're the one being asked to mentor, it's not that hard. You just have to be one chapter ahead, remember. You don't have all the answers. You, just, you could just explain to them, yeah, well, when I was where you are now, this is what I did. I read this book. I went to this Bible study. I did this prayer. This is what I did. And then we help each other to grow in this faith. Because I think deep down that's something that we crave. To be mentored. And it's I think something God uses to explode our faith. Explode and expand beyond what we could do on our own. So how does Timothy's story help to shape your faith? Well, let's go back to the relay race. The first thing you have to do is to make sure that you're holding the baton correctly. That's your life and your doctrine. you got to make sure that it's just right in this way. That you're seeking out somebody to mentor you. 
who is a Christian down the road from you. And that you are ready with an open hand. Again, that's the part that takes humility. And if you're the one doing the handoff, to make sure that you're handing it off correctly, honestly, openly, helping them to navigate, helping them to know when to take hold of it. The second is you have to train together. Again, this doesn't happen overnight. What do I mean by train together? Well, again, it's sort of that mentoring principle. Watch me, you do it, and then I watch, and then we do it together. So maybe you want to meet somebody for coffee once a month for three months. And just say, okay, I want to learn how to pray, have a a bigger prayer life. And then somebody said, well, okay, well, let's do this prayer this month. And think about how we want to do this prayer. Then the next month, let me do this other prayer thing. Arming you with tools in your tool pouch so that you can learn to pray more regularly in different ways in your life. You have to train together. You have to practice the handoff. And then, this is important too. The mentoring relationship needs to end. It's not a mentoring in perpetuity. Usually we all have certain lessons that we want to learn from and give to one another. And then it's time to develop another relationship. Here's why. It's because if you don't, you might accidentally become too dependent on the mentor. And sometimes that's not good. That's not healthy. You have to, if you're a Paul, you have to fully let go. And if you're a Timothy, you have to fully grab it and go because you're going to go hand it to someone else. This is the way it's supposed to work in the church. And I want to encourage us, let's start doing that more. And start simply, start with one person, meeting for coffee, or chai tea, if you will, if you don't do coffee. Meet and just have a conversation. And I think you'll discover your faith will grow exponentially, as did Timothy's. And then you become another co-worker for the gospel, ready to hand it off to someone else. This is a story that shapes our faith. Amen.